Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Madhu Ramanujan and Brad Gross. Madhu and Brad are both experienced Salesforce architects and have recently collaborated for the Salesforce CPQ Implementation Handbook, with Madhu as the author and Brad one of the technical reviewers. In this episode, we discuss their backgrounds, where Madhu got the idea for the book from, and why she chose Brad as one of the technical reviewers. We then delve into the CPQ space, how Salesforce's CPQ offering has evolved, We discuss where projects go wrong, as well as some considerations for designing CPQ solutions. Finally, we look at the role of an architect and see how someone can set themselves up for success when starting a new role with a new business as an architect. We then look at how the role of an architect compares on the customer side in comparison to working for a partner. It was great to have Madhu and Brad on the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you do, please subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Madhu and Brad, thank you for for joining us. Thank you uh, for having us here. Hey, thank you. Appreciate the invite. No, great to have you on the show. So we're going to be talking about partly this book today, which uh, people viewing on video can can see, but the um, the Salesforce CPQ implementation handbook, which uh, we'll, we'll go into uh, to, to some detail about. But um, let's start first with a bit about both of you. So, um, Madhu, if you could kind of give some insight into your your um, who you are in in terms of um, your career with Salesforce and kind of the roles that you've played. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, as uh, you all know, I'm Madhu. Uh, I've worked in the software uh, industry for about 18 19 years my initial career started as a uh, as a so-called developer and i worked mostly on the erp side of the platform where oracle apps was leading and then i moved on to crm as part of the code to cash implementation my initial uh, code to cash journey was with uh, siebel so uh, that's when i started on the crm side and then um, my company was uh, re- migrating from siebel to salesforce that's when uh, I introduced, uh, uh, I got myself introduced to Salesforce, right? At that point of time, I was not sure if Salesforce is going to be the future CRM. I had a lot of questions in my uh, mind. Am I really taking the right path or do I stick with Siebel or uh, ERP? Um, with that mindset, like uh, I decided to give it a try and move forward. But that was one of the awesome decisions I have taken in my career that totally shifted uh, my career path, and, and I'm glad I did that. So uh, last 13, 14 years, I've been working in the Salesforce ecosystem, uh, multiple implementations, sales cloud, service cloud, communities, and uh, a lot of CPQ implementations. Yeah, nice. And, and Brad, what about yourself? What's your uh, your Salesforce journey look like? Oh, man, I had more hair at the beginning of my Salesforce <laughs> journey than I do now. Let's start with that story. But I have been doing Salesforce since 2000 late 2000s when I started. There's probably a story there that I cannot use in this podcast that go into that. Maybe in a future one, if you invite me back, I can tell that story. But uh, I was a customer for quite a few years. I was a, I've been an evil consultant, quote unquote, for about 10 or 15 of those years. Uh, I've been doing CPQ for about six. But along the way, it, you know, it's been fascinating because a lot of what I do is I've spent, I spent a lot of my time and a lot of my growth by helping other people implement Salesforce. And that doesn't mean necessarily as clients, this could mean also on the community side and providing answers and help. 
Uh, that gives me benefits. That helped me learn the system a little bit better than others. Gave me an opportunity to speak, which is obviously I, I think I do. I think I enjoy doing. So there's a benefit there. But it gave me some access to some wonderful people and, and a wonderful Salesforce uh, Salesforce community who I consider many of them to be close friends of mine. So uh, from Salesforce MVP to now to Hall of Fame and now now here I am now uh, helping Madhu with this with this book. We can't gloss over the fact that you, um, you're you actually well-known everywhere, right, Brett, but Australia as well. You spent some time here, which um, some of the, the crew that will be listening to this will probably have met you and uh, spent some time with you. Yeah. How about that? It's, just, it's amazing. I love the, um, the Salesforce ecosystem in Australia is spectacular. I've been fortunate to spend some, to spend some time there. I went to school um, uh, in Surfers Paradise, and I know you're going to feel bad about me saying that to you, Ben. I know you just, you know, you're just, you're just sad about that. The fact that I had to live that terrible experience. Yeah. Uh, but I found that Australia is fascinating, uh, at least in my experience, and I mean, and everyone's experience may vary, but I find that organizations within Australia are willing to make solid investments in good and good technology and automated technology, just because of the the uh, cost of staff and how to maintain and how to keep those businesses going, especially because labor is tight. Getting access to local talent can sometimes be challenging. And if you can find a way to automate it or make it faster or simpler for people, they're willing to make those investments. And that's really where Salesforce and especially like CPQ can make a big difference uh, in organizations. And that's what I'm hoping my, you know, my friends who are down there are also experiencing something similar. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can uh, definitely vouch for the talent shortage and, uh, yeah, the, the prices of, uh, of of salaries are going through the roof as well. So I think there's a even more of a focus on on automation right now. So let let's talk a little bit about the the book then, and Madhu. So what what was it that interested you about writing a book? Has, has it always been something you wanted to do? Um, and then also, why was CPQ your focus? Yeah. So uh, in terms of what interests me, writing a book, I never thought like I'll be writing a book until the publisher reached out to me. So. Uh, it was never a, a dream uh, for most of the people. I, I think it is for me. When Alok from Pact reached out to me, uh, I told him, you, you know, I, I've never had any experience writing any blogs. I I was thinking to write a blog on Salesforce, but I'd never found time uh, in back-to-back implementations. But I thought, okay, this seems pretty interesting. But I had uh, a little question in my mind, do people really read books i think that's when uh, in my initial call with brad i was i was talking to him and he said oh who will listen for 18 hours of like youtube videos madhu come on it's going to be a, a good experience and then uh, i thought okay let's give it a try maybe uh, i'll learn and grow from this experience too so uh, that's how uh, the book writing journey has started um, and to your second question why cpq focus cpq mostly because my whole of my experience is in the code to cash area and then CPQ uh, forms an integral part of code to cash and I've done like uh, three to four implementations in, in CPQ. Uh, and in this, like it was always hard to find in-house expertise, like in any uh, implementation that I was working, we were taking help from subject matter expertise from outside. Um, we were uh, having vendors who help us. It was all great. Uh, but in-house team was always struggling to to get that experience. And I thought, okay, maybe an end-to-end implementation guide where even beginners can pick up with the standard Salesforce platform knowledge, how CPQ sits on top of force.com platform will help them. So that, that was the inspiration behind the CPQ. And 
uh, other reason I think the, I did some research on Google as I told you before, and then I couldn't find a book on on implementation of CPQ. Uh, then I thought, okay, maybe it's a it's a good thing to start. It's time, yeah. And I think you're right about the book. Um, like, it's so good to be able to pick up a book and refer back to something you've read. And and with YouTube, you kind of watch something once, and then you know you you probably wouldn't watch eighteen hours worth of um, of um, information on on a video. But yeah, I think you, you can't really get past a, uh, having a solid book in front of you to pick up and read when you're going through something challenging. So hopefully they never go away. Um, but I, I definitely get your angle with that. And Brad, so obviously you're, um, you're uh, as you mentioned, you've done a lot of work in the CPQ space. When did you uh, first move into to, to the CPQ world? And how have you seen the Salesforce um, CPQ offering evolve over the years? Oh, man, is that a good story? So thank you for asking. Uh, and, and from Matthew's point, I don't think anybody consciously watches 18 hours of YouTube videos back to back. Cause I think that would, that would may, that may ruin the rest of my lifestyle, uh, for that matter. So let's, let's start with that story, but let's go back into how I got into CPQ. So I've been fortunate as, as I've said before, I've been, an, I've been a consultant for, for you know, 12, 15 years. I'm certain my LinkedIn will tell me exactly how many years I'm in and I'm doing math wrong, but let's just stick with what I know here. But let's stick with what the story is. So uh, I had recently, I had been building my own for clients. I had been building my own quote to cash tools for their um, to bespoke so bespoke solutions. But about five or six years ago, uh, I merged with a larger company and I kind of closed up my shop. And it was great. I think everybody really benefited. I know the other organization benefited dramatically. I know my team benefited a lot from that experience. And, and quite frankly, I did too. Uh, and, I, and I have nothing but good things to say about that. But as part of that, they they put me on a project because I went back to being a nerd, which I love doing. I love being a nerd who here does not like to be a nerd. And I got put on a project for CPQ back then. I mean, it was, it was still still Steelbrick back then. That's all long ago. And, and for those of you watching this YouTube video a couple of years from now, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that guy is ancient. <laughs> but we started the project. And within uh, two or three weeks of starting the project, the entire project, the current project team left the organization and left myself and a, and a junior consultant holding the bag. Uh, they went and started their own shop, which will remain nameless. And so it was myself, this, this junior consultant, and we were able to get a couple hours of Salesforce's time as an architect to kind of walk us through some of the big stuff. And we had to figure it out. We just had to figure it out. And that was part of the part of the process. And so when we started figuring things out, we started writing it down. And so one of the key successes of, for me, at least, has been creating wikis of CPQ knowledge. And that was one of the things that helped Madhu along the way, because I could say, you can talk about this or you can talk about it this way. And I know this works. Uh, you can use this if you want. Or she can say, or and she has told me a few times, no, that's not quite how this is going to go down. And that's okay, too. That's, that's sort of the joy of CPQ and the joy of Salesforce. So... I find that, especially in terms of how CPQ has grown since those years, the, the, the software itself, it was very slow. It has, it has sped up. It will never be the fastest application on the planet. And that's okay, because there's a lot of complications. There's a lot of things happening. We want that. We need that as an organization. We need that success. We need those, we need those tools to be successful. Where we've really seen a lot of growth is in is in the ecosystem. So we're seeing now more partner applications, the likes of like Zillion, the likes of we talk about Velocity in the book. We talk about which is a different kind of tool, but the same concepts. We talk. Um, there, there's Conga now. There's DocuSign. There's all these integrations. There's Logic, which is another great tool that sits on top of CPQ. And I think where we're starting to see is CPQ being 
another platform to build on top of. And that's going to be, that's really what I'm hoping, at least I hope that's where we're seeing more success coming in the next couple of years. So I've, I've heard um, like there's different camps of like some people love CPQ, others don't. And I, I once heard the, the term that CPQ stands for causes people to quit. Oh, yeah. And I think you just proved me right. I, or that, that, um, I think you proved that right. You started a project and the whole project team left. Well, they went and actually started their own CPQ <laughs> organization, which, again, is, is just its own special thing. Oh. But it's still a funny story because it is it does happen a lot where people people get they look at the tool, they under, they try to understand what they're trying to do. And then they just like, you know what? This is too much. I'm over it. I can't do this anymore. And they and you get the finger wagon and then they're out the door. And <laughs> and that's not how the system really needs to be. You can be successful using this tool. It does require some knowledge. It does require a certain set of innate knowledge. And if you're coming straight from sales cloud, you're going to find that it's a it's a it's a, there is a fair bit of a learning curve to be successful. I've got one question I want to ask around how you two kind of came to know each other. And, and we're in a, an ecosystem where people kind of just know each other, right? There's a, such a, a great community. But when you were getting to the point of um, looking for someone to review the book, uh, Madhu, how, how did you land on uh, Brad being the, the, the uh, person that you were going to ask? Yeah, so uh, when, when I had taken up this project, like I was thinking, okay, this is my first time authoring a book. Like, how am I going to make sure whatever I present in the book is going to be right. Or like, then I started researching a lot in Google. Like I, I read a lot of Salesforce blogs. Like I spoke with a lot of uh, subject matter expertise that I know. And as you said, Salesforce community is great, right? I was part of few community channels. So I reached out to people and then um, that's how like I got to know a uh, lot of people who are really uh, good at CPQ and then can help me validate my content, right? And then I was thinking, okay, do I always like pick a person whom I have worked with before or like do I also wanted to have a mix in the reviewers, right? Like I want to work with a person who I have never worked with, who don't know me as Madhu and then maybe uh, that's also uh, makes kind of like diverse review, right? Other reviewer of this book, uh, Mitch, he's, he's great. I'm working with him on my current CPQ implementation. Then I thought, okay, Brad, I have never worked with him and then First time I met uh, uh, Brad was like for this book review. I, I sent him an email and I said like, uh, this is what like the book is going to be. Will you be able to help me review the book? And it all started there. And then we had our initial conversation and then uh, it was really great to meet uh, uh, you, Brad. So I had few few doubts, right? Like do really people going to uh, read books uh, uh, in this? And that too for, the, for, in a, for a topic like Salesforce, I was not sure. But then uh, I think, that's when I also started reading a lot of books for myself after a long time. Uh, I really uh, like the, the way, right? So you're off from your computer, you're off from your phone, you just like s sit in your backyard and then start reading the book. And then because I wanted to know how different authors are presenting, right? So uh, that's how it started. And then uh, glad that we know each other. And then it was great the way Brad was reviewing and the way Mitch was helping. Both of them have different perspectives the way they were giving the feedback. So uh, I think I got maximum out of uh, their knowledge uh, in presenting this book to different audience. So was that a new string to your bow, Brad? Had you ever seen yourself as a book reviewer before? Thankfully, no, not, not, not once, not even. And that's okay. <laughs> and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing it. 
And sometimes it's, and it's, and it's also was a good opportunity to test knowledge because as, and as Madhu and I had a particular situation where she wrote something in the book and I'm like, no, 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 that can't possibly be right. And she said, here's the article. And I went, no, 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 no. Here's, here's the competing known issue that defines that. And then we, you know, we get into a, you get into a conversation and that's the whole point of being a good editor, I think is to, um, be willing to give and take and understand that you're never, not everything you're going to say is good and not everything you say is going to be correct. But, and the author in the end controls the destiny, which is important. They're, they, 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 they have to own the narrative. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, Madhu, Brad mentioned before that uh, we were talking about CPQ and, and, you know, causes people to quit and, and so on. And it can be very different from a sales cloud project. So in your experience, um, when you're architecting and designing a CPQ solution, um, what are some of the key considerations? So, uh, yeah, CPQ, as, as we all know, is, is built on force.com platform. But do all companies need CPQ? Maybe, may not, right? So it, it all depends on the kind of business that, that you are doing. So a small company may not need CPQ, uh, when I mean small, in terms of like uh, the way their products are structured, the way their pricing is there, the way how like they configure the discount. So it's important to take the decision um, just because you implemented CPQ, it doesn't mean your core to cash process is going to be awesome and everything is, you're going to close the deals, right? So uh, that's when, as an architect, you need to wear the architect uh, hat and then see, uh, do I really need CPQ? And then understand like the current sales cloud implementation, right? So understand the code to cash process. When it comes to like how different CPQ implementation uh, with sales cloud, like sales cloud is all, there are a lot of nuances, right? Sales cloud uh, configurations is all metadata. We might have heard in Salesforce, but when it comes to CPQ configurations, it's it's all data. And then that poses different challenges, like how you deploy your changes from one Salesforce instance to the other. And uh, the other thing when it comes to configurations, we are all used to like uh, validation rules, workflow rules in Salesforce that we, we may have used like uh, for automating different business processes, right? When it comes to CPQ, it, they're all a little different. Like you need to learn about product rules. You need to learn about your price rules, your con configuration attributes. And that's where the decision is like, which one of these uh, configuration tools is best for your implementation, right? What makes it more like uh, performance effective uh, implementing the, uh, the these configurations? I still remember in one of the chapters where I mentioned, okay, you can use like, uh, uh, for example, rollups. Uh, rollups, right? If you take about uh, Salesforce, rollups is all like you use to sum, uh, summarize the, the fields. And then when it comes to CPQ, you need to use summary variables. That's when like, I remember Brad like reading line by line and underlining, okay, yeah, th this is a, a good call out like we should definitely mention because as a Salesforce admin, your mind is filled with all Salesforce configurations. So you need to slightly change the way you think for CPQ and then know all the features that are available out of the box in the platform and, and choose the right one, right? So when you have a requirement, there are 10 different ways of implementing it. But how you pick and choose the right one for your business process is the key. So that leads me on nicely, um, Brad, where do projects go wrong in this space? Um, <laughs> what, 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 what have you seen over the years to be some of the kind oh, of uh, yeah, red flags? I, I'll tell you five. I have five. I think I like about, if I really think about it, I think I think there's about five of them here. So I'm going to do the most obvious one which is we don't, as builders, customer and consultant, we don't use the word no enough. 
because we hear all these requirements, we hear everything that everybody wants, and we need to be willing to say, no, that's not a good idea. That doesn't fit an overall plan. That only solves an edge case that's going to last for six months, and then you're not going to use it, and then it's going to get in the way. Or my favorite, it's going to overly complicate the user experience. Users aren't going to want to use it, and now you have bad data. And that's worse, and that's terrible. So not using no, not being being afraid to use the word no is usually a bad sign. But I got, but maybe there's, let me, let me think through a couple others here. So usually it's around the product catalog. And when I say by product catalog, you need to recognize that the product catalog that you have today is may not necessarily be the product catalog that you're going to be using within CPQ and your backend, in your backend accounting systems, because you have more tools available in the tool set. You have the ability to summarize. You have the ability to make it easier. We typically do see customers, and for the record, most of the projects that we face are remediation. We're fixing bad CPQ implementations. That's that's like the bread and butter of our business. Uh, so we typically will see clients that have tens of thousands of product getting it down to 30 because you can and you should. Doesn't mean that that's to affect downstream too much, but it causes trouble when people just say, I want you to lift and shift you typically are going to have a problem with a capital P. So I think about that. I think the second one is understanding that a bundle is a great concept. However, this, the challenge has been is we see customers that create, I call them I call them monolithic bundles. And I was thinking of that scene from that movie, that 2001 movie, where you see the big, you see this, this, this big thing and this is controlling your destiny. And I think about that as an image because you look at these people with bundles that just have tens and tens and tens and tens of different configurations and different functionality. And all that does is slow down the system dramatically. And then you don't, you're not able to use the functionality of CPQ effectively because you've made it, you've just transferred one problem into something else. And so it just turns into this 500 pound gorilla that is impossible to be successful with. So creating smaller, more nimbler bundles allows CPQ to, to run better and also allows users to get a better experience. Uh, I think there's a third one here, which is, you know, again, the lift and shift and not having a plan. And that's really three and four put together. It's doing a lift and shift is bad, but more, but probably the more egregious is walking in and you, we see a lot of these systems over time where it's very organically built. I'm going to go through a sprint-based build. I hear my 20 stories, build that. Okay, next month, here are 20 more stories. And all they do is build off those stories, and they don't think through a cohesive plan that allows the tool to be good at what it's good at and be, not be good at and let it and avoid the things that it, that, that has some trouble with or just going to create a bad experience for the user. Really, this is not a CPQ specific problem. This is a, this is a generic Salesforce or generic technical project problem. So it's not a universal, but not having a solid plan and keeping to the plan and, and knowing what to do is a major major problem because you see a lot of that organically driven systems which solve problems it solves the issue but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem yeah that makes sense and you you mentioned um you are quite often picking up a, a failed cpq project so at the moment are you are you typically finding that they're um, you're moving from one failed salesforce cpq project and re-implementing or, or are you finding a lot of these companies have just got another external cpq platform that has been done badly and now they want to come on to salesforce it's a great question, Ben. It's both. 
It is both. And we do see some, we do see some poor outside of CP sales or CPQ implementations and, and they have their own challenges because now you're trying to not only get user input, but why that, why they're having problems, but now you got to translate it to make it fit within the CPQ uh, interface. That's, that's one, but it, but we do also see a lot of just bad Salesforce CPQ implementations. And I don't want to say it's bad. I would just say it's not optimized. It's not what people are looking for. They're not happy. And you want to make you, if you want users to accept something, it's got to be a good experience. And that goes back to the first one, which is start saying no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which I think is a consistent problem uh, for, for, you know, the, the whole ecosystem around uh, and, and in every kind of role saying no is challenging, right? Especially when there's so much work out there as well and uh, so much opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I could talk about, I mean, you could easily go bring, bring up some very specific CPQ things, right? You could say, you're really not supposed to have more than five lookup queries. You're really not supposed to have more than 30 active roles. You're really not supposed to have a product catalog of over 500,000 products. And that's not a generic, that's a generic Salesforce thing. That's not a CPQ thing. Um, you really want to keep an eye on how many dynamic sections do you have? Is it under 20? Is it under 25? And you're making your output template. You can get that detailed, but most people's problems start before that. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, Madhu, you, um, so this, this isn't, I guess, CPQ related, um, but you recently moved jobs. Um, and I think that there'll be a lot of people that are in the ecosystem now that have maybe just progressed into an architect role and they're, they're, you know, they're in their first architect position. And with the volume of opportunities that there are in the market right now, I'm sure people are, you know, there'll be people that might be looking to take their next step into another architect role. So, you know, moving companies for the first time as an architect. So when, when you go in as an architect, how do you set yourself up for success in a new business? Um, and that's not necessarily like a, a technology, uh, just, just in general, like what, what do you look to, to do early on in your role to make sure that you're in a good position to succeed? Yeah, great question. When I often had, had this question, right? What, what should I do? How should I uh, do my new job differently so that I'm, I'm successful, right? So this is technology agnostic, like a, any job you go and then any, any field you, you take up, right? So first thing like I learned uh, myself is like you understand the business process, right? And and different technologies your uh, uh, company is using or, or your uh, new role uh, is uh, defined it, right? And then like uh, how your business processes are automated. Do you do a lot of like manual handholding? You still use like uh, Google Sheets and then sticky notes and things like that? Or is it a sophisticated company? So technology agnostic understand your uh, your products, the kind of business, do you sell products, do you sell services, do you sell subscriptions, like get that big picture, right? So when you have that big picture in mind, then you can uh, start like mapping that with the with the technology, right? So to me, like business transformation and uh, technology transformation should always go in hand in hand, right? So you cannot have these things in, in, in silos. So uh, that's one thing. And then um, when it comes to like code to cash specifically, so I'm, I'm relating this to my experience, right? You you understand like how you your current system is defining your product catalog, your your pricing, so your uh, discounts, and to your point, like are we really like implementing CPQ or uh, are we creating CPQ, right? So do you do you need or can you manage with the with just sales cloud? Uh, so that's uh, one of the major decisions that, that you need to do as an architect. And once you know that, okay, maybe you need CPQ or you need a new tool, you cannot like automate everything, right? You cannot automate 100% and then like 
how much of it you need to automate and then that's where you need to draw a line uh, between your uh, admin knowledge your developer knowledge and your uh, architect knowledge right and then maybe today your business has top 10 problems right so try to see how these top 10 can be build uh, like using an mvp approach where you have an mvp solution and then build on top of your mvp right Ma- make sure like your mvp serves as a foundation for your long term you're not throwing away your mvp solution just because you don't have time and then you half bake the cookie and then you try to sell it then it's it's, it's not going to work right um, and then i i always believe in this principle one of my favorite slides from salesforce is you crawl walk and run so make sure you automate a little bit and see how the business is uh, uh, taking it how your sales users are uh, adopting to the new changes like nobody wants to change right anytime business says oh i'm fine with my excel sheets i'm okay to maintain my pricing in an excel sheet and I, i'll send it to sales so but it doesn't work when sales and finance are working in silos right so think about the customer experience right the user experience so uh, start always with with small and then uh, reach the big goal finally. And uh, Brad, you've worked on both sides, consulting and uh, in in the customer side, or, or you know you've been a customer of Salesforce. So, how does the role of an architect differ between the two? And then also, how can they work nicely together when they're on a project together? Yeah, it's interesting if you think about it. it, it the two architects really are a symbiotic relationship. A good project creates symbiotic relationship between the two. And, and the reason for it is the, the the customer architect will know the internal, should know, should know the internal workings of the organization and that environment better. That's one. And then the second part is you typically the consultant, because they've been faced with so many different organizations and so many different experiences, they typically will know what they're trying to implement better than the internal. And so now it becomes that question of how do we connect these two people, connect these two thoughts together to create a good project? Uh, when they're adversarial, the projects usually go poorly. When they are when there's a synergy and they would like to work together and they want to work together, magic happens and you typically get better projects. Uh, I love Meta's approach of an MVP. I actually saw a graphic the other day about MVP and it said, you know, an MVP phase one, two, three is not, I'm going to build the wheels and the MVP and I'm going to build the board and then I'm going to build uh, the trucks for my skateboard. No, an MVP is version one's a skateboard, version two is a bicycle, version three is a car. It's still methods of transportation. You're still getting to the end point. It's just how complicated that 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 solution is. It's um it's interesting, isn't it? Like the the whole dynamics of um of two architects, like one on either side of the fence. But I guess sometimes as an architect, you have to defend your solution, and and that can be difficult if you both have different um, viewpoints. Yeah, and that but that's a normal thing of humanity. Um, and there are going to be times when you're not going to necessarily agree, and that's where. You got to come up with the, with the right solution. Sometimes the consultant should back down. Sometimes the customer may back down, but that's okay. Uh, what you're looking for is the best solution that's going to fit within the time and budget allowed. And knowing that in the end, the client's cutting the check. So, uh, and, and that's probably not the right answer to say on a, on a podcast, but that is the reality of life as a consultant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and just to, to sign off um, on, on the, the angle of the book, um, Madhu, where, where can people find it and um, and who is it for? Uh, people can find this book on Amazon, um, like uh, Amazon US and all other countries where we have Amazon. 
you can also go to pact website pact.com and then you can find the book there pact also has this monthly subscription where people can subscribe and along with this book they can read hundreds of other books if they are interested and uh, this book is mostly for uh, anybody who want to learn cpq uh, this book is for uh, functional consultants uh, admins developers and architects who are in the process of implementing uh, cpq so most of this book introduces the concepts with simple examples so it's technically hard to cover all the use cases out there in the industry so it picks up simple use case um, like how do you configure your laptop and then starts introducing you to the concept of price rules product rules discounting so that's how it goes and then with this knowledge um, the functional consultants or architects out there can can extend the the cpq implementation to complex use cases awesome and uh, and brad you were found um by madu because of some of your your content on, online and some of the things that that you've um published or, or written about so where can people find some of your content well right now i'm redoing the site but it will be bradgross.org is my is my website feel free to hit me hit me up on linkedin as well uh twitter account and this is this this is going to date me really fast. My Twitter account handle is Imperial Stout, like the beer. But and, and you, yeah, it's not Salesforce related at all. And it's great, but uh, but definitely find me. I mean, LinkedIn's great, and and my website will be up here again shortly. I'm just just decided it's time for a refresh. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening to another episode of Town Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.